Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee. I have a Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, being as next week our network is going to be doing um, season retrospectives from best seasons, worst seasons, those kinds of things over the next couple of weeks. I thought I might get the ball rolling a little bit earlier than expected, but not necessarily talking about seasons. We're actually going to do uh, something of a review of of Winnipeg's draft selections starting from 2011. Tonight's episode, we'll probably get through one or two drafts, maybe three if we're really fortunate. Uh, I think most folks know that the first couple of years for the Jets were a, um, a little bit barren as far as guys who have actually been in the NHL longer term. But of course, some of those players are among Winnipeg's key foundational core members. So, uh, you know, you, you might exchange quantity for quality, but it's kind of interesting to get a sense of where guys are now in their careers, because some of them have gone as far as China. Uh, playing for, I think it was a Red Star Kunlun, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. A lot of these guys have been journeymen across many different leagues, and some of them are still in the NHL. Some of them are actually, I guess, retired at this point because they couldn't really get a pro contract anywhere. But it's actually kind of crazy how often and how few of these guys uh, are, you know, are going to make the NHL anytime soon or did make the NHL out of the crops that they were taking. But Winnipeg's first 2011 draft entry from the first round, seventh overall, was Mark Shifley. Now, Shifley was taken ahead of Sean Couturier, and Couturier, a lot of folks thought, could go as high as first place. We all know that Sean Couturier is one of the best centers in the NHL and really one of the best skaters, period. His total defensive and offensive impact, formerly defensive, used to kind of dwarf his offensive impact, but now both sides have sort of found like an amazing balance and he really is a dominant two-way forward with an exceptional offensive instinct and a really great work ethic that actually translates into defensive results. Where has Mark Shifley kind of gone? Well, Shifley actually hasn't tracked as differently as you might think. Mark is really a dominant offensive force, and over the past couple of seasons, he was really, really, really good. Obviously, this year was perhaps a little bit of a step back, and last year he wasn't quite as good as he was a couple of seasons ago, but on the whole... I think that we all know that Shifley is one of the best top six slash top line centers in the league. Yes, Shifley does have some issues with his game, and I think that occasionally he has defensive lapses that he probably shouldn't. But on the whole, I think that you can be pretty happy with his body of work. Um, You know, Shifley was somebody who a lot of folks were, were high on, but maybe thought was a little bit overdrafted and felt that he had a lot of work to do. He's one of those guys that Jet Scouts really enjoyed, and I think that they felt that he was going to be something special later on in his career. Around 2015-2016, that started to look more and more like the real thing. And, you know, of course, Shifley is now Winnipeg's, I guess, future captain or something. He definitely takes a leadership role in the room, and I think he's sort of the herald of the the younger crop of guys. Um, I know that he's at least one of the, the most notable faces of this franchise for a variety of reasons, chief among them being that he's one of our offensive catalysts. In 2014-15, I think that people were kind of expecting him to take a big leap forward, and he did take something of a step forward. I think most people will always point to um, consecutive seasons with point total increases and goal-scoring output going up, but really 
his overall game just evolved to the point of being a true first-line center and not something where you would feel like Winnipeg missed out not picking Couturier up. Obviously, if the Jets had gotten Sean, I think that they would have been thrilled with what he's been able to put out, and especially his his two-way impact on the total game. But considering, you know, Shifley was drafted several years ago and what he's continued to produce over the past couple of seasons, I don't think anyone can complain about that pick. Winnipeg's next pick was in the third round, 67th overall, from the Swift Current Broncos, and this one was Adam Lowry. Now, Lowry is kind of an interesting player because I don't think that until the rise of, I guess, hockey analytics and and deeper underlying metrics were more commonplace, Lowry's impact was mostly thought to be through his physicality and his fists, which isn't exactly false. I just think that a lot of what Lowry does tended to go unnoticed. So Adam was kind of an interesting player because he's not really a high-end offensive guy. What he is, though, is a really dominant defensive forward with an unbelievably powerful forecheck, obviously great physicality and strength, uh, surprisingly decent vision, and and occasionally decent passing. I think that his goal scoring that you know occasionally popped up in his younger years with the Broncos really hasn't translated at the NHL level. What he does give you, though, is if you're, say, like a contender, Lowry is really your anchor on your bottom six. You need guys who can be a matchup nightmare and create imbalances for your offensive forwards to take advantage of. And when you've got bottom six scorers in depth, guys like Lowry play an invaluable role. And I think that that's why Adam has become something of a fan favorite over the past couple of seasons. He's a big dude, and he is very strong, both on the puck and away from it. He's also not afraid to drop the gloves, but I think more than anything, he's a hard-working player, and what often happens with him is, even though his point totals are, I, I don't know, about a quarter of a point a game over this entire NHL career, Lowry's true value is in getting to those areas where he can create space for his teammates. I think a lot of people underrate you know, having a really strong forecheck and allowing your teammates and line mates to be the ones who capitalize on your opportunities. Is Lowry like a top six guy? I don't really think so. I think Lowry's best placed on like your third line. But considering where he was taken and how many years it's been since his draft season, I think anyone could be pleased with that pick. Lowry has really been Winnipeg's matchup nightmare, and when he's on the ice, or really whenever he's in a game, just period, he allows Winnipeg to sort of tip the scales in in the Jets' favor because you know, they, they like to deploy successive waves of attacking forwards. And where I think Lowry stands out is you basically use him as like a wrecking ball to pulverize and wear down your opponents in the offensive zone. And then you throw out like a Mark Shifley line or a Patrick Liney line, something with offensive upside where the space and energy that Lowry forced opponents to essentially give up opens up more offensive opportunities for your top six and some of your other scoring forwards. Unfortunately, Lowry is roughly where the good times in the first uh, 2011 entry draft ended for the Jets. In the third round, just a few picks after Adam Lowry was selected, Winnipeg elected to choose Brennan Servilly from the Stouffville spirit of the OJHL. Now, the OJHL is traditionally something of an underscouted league. I forget who some of the recent guys to come out of there are. I think was it Makar, I think, who came from the OJHL, or somebody like Makar, another one of those talented offensive defensemen who people were kind of like, well, it's the OJHL, you know, does he really stack up against NHL competition or a harder league? So Servily is kind of funny because I don't know if he's actually played an NHL game. According to his record, it doesn't look like he ever has. 
In fact, Brennan really hasn't done much of anything since 2016, it looks like. He did spend four years playing for the University of Michigan, including a couple of seasons with the Big Ten, and then had, I don't know, about 20 or so games with the Manitoba Moose, and then a few additional games with the Tulsa Oilers. But all of those came in 2015-16, and since then he's not been playing pro hockey. I, I know that Winnipeg kind of ran a little bit dry uh, after the first couple of seasons, but I think that this first NHL draft looks pretty bad in retrospect. I'm not exactly sure what they pegged Servalee to be, but they tend to like a lot of guys who are big physical defensemen but perhaps have limited upside, and unfortunately Servalee is kind of in that same bracket. He didn't really have big numbers with the Stofield Spirit, and you can see that he's like six foot three, just about and weighed like 205, so you know, we've seen Logan Stanley get picked and a couple of guys with similar profiles, and usually we're not really fond of those anymore just because these players tend to be guys with very limited offensive upside and unfortunately not a whole lot of puck-moving ability, which is kind of what Brennan fell victim to. Winnipeg's next pick, which was in the fourth round at 119 overall, was Zach Ewan, and this guy was actually supposed to be a little bit more. Ewan was pretty decent for Tri-City. I wouldn't say outstanding, but pretty good overall, and people thought that he might have, you know, maybe high-end third-pairing or second-pairing potential. Everyone was kind of really hoping that Zach would end up panning out, Unfortunately, Ewan just really didn't seem to click and ended up all over the ECHL, really. In fact, he spent, it looks like, five or so seasons playing for teams like Orlando, Wheeling, Gwinnett, Atlanta, Idaho. So he was really all over that league, although Atlanta and Gwinnett, I think, are actually the same team. I think one just relocated and became um, a different form of the Gladiators. But really, it's interesting that he didn't get much... Uh, higher level pro time. He had three games with the Toronto Marlies in 2013-14, and that was more or less it. After that, uh, and after the ECHL, he ended up moving overseas to the KHL and has logged quite a few games for Kundalini Red Star, which I would say is is not bad considering where his career has taken him. If I recall correctly, I think Kundalini was actually an expansion franchise when he first joined. He was one of their first signings, and I think that they were thinking he might be I don't know, something left in the tank. Uh, he was probably around 25 or so when they signed him. Maybe a bit younger. Um, generally speaking, he's played around 20 to 30 games. He had one, his first season he actually played 60 games for Kundalini, but after that, uh, the you know game totals definitely dropped and then probably his ice time wasn't super big. I would say that, unfortunately, Zach is a little bit of a bust for the Jets, and I think a lot of folks were really hoping that he would be more, but unfortunately he just didn't pan out and all of the hype kind of died after he went basically out of the AHL and into the ECHL. Getting into, say, the bottom of the ninth inning, Winnipeg then picked Austin Broussard from round five, number 149 overall, from the Belleville Bulls. And Austin Broussard is kind of interesting just because he's another big kid with, I guess, high-end physicality or whatever. But as far as, like, an offensive winger is concerned, Broussard really wasn't that kind of guy. What he did do is rack up a lot of penalty minutes, and I think that he was probably projected to be something like a fourth-line grinder. I kind of feel like you get a, an idea of why Winnipeg's early draft returns weren't great, and it's because they tended to go after guys who were physical players and maybe didn't have a whole lot of offensive upside. You know, obviously the past decade or so has seen um, a relative modernization and revolution in scouting, but even then, I think that the picks that Winnipeg made have mostly been disappointing. 
After that first round, they really didn't get a whole lot of value. Broussard is mostly known for spending around three or so seasons with the Manitoba Moose and actually the Ice Caps when they were still in St. John, but I don't know. It's just kind of mediocre. Um, over the past couple of seasons, he's been bouncing between the ECHL and the AHL out west. He's played for Utah, San Diego, Toledo, and Greenville, so not really doing a whole lot. His ECHL numbers have actually been pretty decent. I think uh, last season he had 46 points, which is not bad, but again, this is the ECHL, and I think that his particular body type and skill set tend to lend themselves at lower levels for scoring some pretty greasy goals and just sort of muscling your way to the net. A few picks later in round six, Jason Kasdorf was taken, and Kasdorf was kind of a fringe pick from, uh, it looks like, I think he was drafted, say, Portage Terriers. Winnipeg hasn't exactly had a great track record with developing goalies, and Kasdorf kind of fell through the cracks. I remember him being traded at one point to, I think, Buffalo or something. He was thrown in, I think, with a cane deal. Or, or something else, I forget, actually. Might have been the year after, actually. But, you know, Kasdorf was... Uh, he was always going to be a fringe pick. I don't think that his numbers when he was with RPI really jumped out. And RPI was playing in the ECAC, um, which is an okay conference, not particularly great. And I don't think Kasdorf's numbers ever really jumped out. Ironically, though, of the guys drafted af after Lowry, Kasdorf is the only one who actually has any NHL time. He played exactly one game, 60 minutes, for the Buffalo Sabres, and stopped 26 of 30, 30 shots? Yeah, 30 shots. So, um, yeah, I mean, he didn't really do a whole lot after that. He spent a couple of games with the Rochester Amherst, and then spent a couple of seasons playing in the ECHL. Uh, apparently, he was actually with the Lazitza Foxes of the second tier of the German Ice Hockey League, which is pretty interesting, kind of weird, you don't see that very often. And uh, he actually ended up coming back to the Manitoba Moose this season. I don't think he's actually played, but I guess it's just goaltending depth that you can kind of do whatever with. You know, with Bairdine and Comrie sort of manning the crease for now, plus I think there's one other guy that the Jets turned to. Obviously, the Moose goaltending situation is more or less settled, but hey, more goaltending depth, whatever. Welcome a, a local Winnipegger back. Can't really hurt, I guess, for cheap. Before we move on to our final couple of picks, including some previews from the 2012 entry draft, which is a little more successful, I have a quick PSA for those of you who are local Win Winnipeg business owners. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you've no doubt heard about all of the great advertisers currently partnered with the Locked On Podcast Network, advertising to listeners all around the world. What you may not realize, however, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is the perfect opportunity for your local business to reach out to Jets fans on a routine and daily basis. Our listeners are hardcore, passionate Jets fans just like you, who care about supporting and endorsing local Winnipeg businesses. If you're interested in connecting with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line at Lockdown Podcasts. And for additional information, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. Our team will work with you step-by-step -step to achieve the greatest level of Lockdown Podcast advertising success. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Again, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Rounding out our 2011 NHL entry draft is number 187, Aaron Harstad from the seventh round. And Aaron has actually not been all that bad, relatively speaking, in his pro career. He is a left-shooting defenseman, and he spent at least a couple of seasons after getting drafted out of Green Bay uh, going into the WCHA and NCHC for Colorado College. 
actually didn't know that. Colorado College doesn't really have at least a, a really prolific high-end hockey program, although in recent years it's been pretty solid. But he actually has played quite a few pro games. Um, he was one of those guys who ended up bouncing a lot between the AHL and ECHL, and actually most recently he was with the Florida Everblades as of this season, which is not bad considering he spent the season playing for the Alberg Pirates of Denmark. Once you go overseas, it's not exactly easy to come back, I guess, to play North American hockey. You have to do a decent amount to prove that you're worth a contract, because like the ECHL and AHL may not exactly stack up to the NHL, but these are pretty tough leagues. It is kind of funny to look back on the 2011 draft, though, because a lot of those guys are all around 25 to 27, and it feels like it's been a century of, of having those guys play for the Jets or get drafted by Winnipeg, but even still, they're not actually that old. It says a lot about the state of how young this franchise is compared to most. Before we close tonight out, I do want to run through a couple of picks from the 2012 entry draft, and this time we're actually going to start from the bottom before we get to the fun picks, because Winnipeg's, I guess, bottom picks are sort of not too different from what happened with uh, the 2011 draft. Coming in at pick number 190, round 7, is Jamie Phillips. And Phillips was actually somebody who I thought at one point had NHL backup material in him. Unfortunately, Jamie's career didn't really pan out like that, and he's basically spent almost his entire career bouncing between the AHL and ECHL, by and large playing in the ECHL. He's actually changed quite a few teams, too, and generally speaking, he hasn't played all that many games. I think I recall Phillips maybe getting some preseason time or training camp time, but generally speaking, he didn't ever get a look at the NHL level, and it's kind of a shame because I, I really did hope at one point that he would show some quality. Um, his AHL and ECHL numbers never really impressed, though, and unfortunately he just didn't seem to, to really have um, the ability to track down high-level shooters, which is not surprising. I mean, it's pretty hard to do that for a lot of guys. Um, I did really hope that he was going to at least be part of like a platoon with uh, Michael Hutchinson, because to be honest, I think we had all gotten tired of watching Andre Pavlik flail about in the net in 2014-15 when Pavlik ended up costing the Jets the, the playoffs in that first round sweep. You know, we were all hoping for some kind of goaltending quality, so we were starting to dig at the bottom of the barrel. Taken just a bit before him is another one of those scrappy, fighty kind of guys, and this one is Ryan Olsen, drafted at number 160 in round 6. And Ryan did actually play a lot of games for um, Winnipeg's AHL affiliate. He's totaled almost 180 games across uh, the Manitoba Moose and St. John's Ice Caps. I've actually almost bought one of his jerseys at one point. Olsen didn't exactly have eye-popping numbers with the Kelowna Rockets, but I think that most folks thought that he might be a decent fourth-line grinder with some minor offensive upside. That didn't really manifest into anything at the AHL level. If anything, he was mostly known for, at least in his second season with the Moose, getting quite a few penalty minutes and into fights. But beyond that, he's not really, or at least at the time, wasn't really a high-end forward. Past couple of seasons, he, he bounced between the ECHL, went over to Austria, and then actually came back to the San Antonio Rampage. And uh, he's apparently been carving himself something of a decent niche. He's got 34 points as of last season, which is not bad. This year, he was uh, a little bit more modest. He had uh, career highs in 2018-19 with 17 goals and 17 assists, but this year is more like his normal you know, point total of around 15 to 20 at most. Unfortunately, Winnipeg's NHL value out of these like bottom five to seven rounds haven't exactly been great, at, at least at the start of Winnipeg's franchise history. And, you know, picking guys in the fifth through seventh rounds is basically a coin flip. 
after like the first two rounds, most picks are, are really long shots anyways. And it's not like top round picks are all that likely either. You know, I think most first round picks, I want to say like they have like a 40% chance of success, although that might have changed over the past couple of seasons. Generally speaking, though, it's it's pretty hard to expect guys to actually make the league, much less guys who are much longer projects. On our next week's episode, we will be diving into the rest of the 2012 draft and probably explore some of the bottom of the 2013 draft if we get a chance to. But we'll continue this, this analysis because there have been quite a few hits and quite a few misses. And some of the misses are a little more surprising and disappointing than, you know, what you might expect. Or at least for reasons that you might not have anticipated. But, you know, for all of the uh, the misses and failures, I have to say Winnipeg's recent times have been pretty good. But we won't get too ahead of ourselves. We'll explore that in later episodes. Thanks so much for listening, folks. I hope you guys have a great weekend and enjoy your evening. Do uh, take a look for a another Game Worn Collector interview sometime this weekend. It'll be up either tomorrow evening or on Sunday evening. Thanks again so much. Now tune in to the Locked On NHL National Show. Have a great night and go Jets go.